All right. Hi, how are we? We good? Good. Hey, uh, I'm Ben. I'm the teaching pastor here. I'm glad you're here today. Um, I've actually been gone for the last couple weeks. I was out on vacation. Um, this summer, Allie and I are celebrating our 10th uh, anniversary together. And so we did some... Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> we made it. Um, uh, so we did something special to celebrate that. We saved up for a little while, and then her and I went to one of those all-inclusive resorts in Mexico. I don't know if you've ever done this. Um, it was just Allie and I, and without the kids, it's the first time we've done a trip like that in like seven years or something like that, and it was awesome. Um, uh, we just sat by the pool, we sat on the beach, and we read books, and we hung out with each other, and we ate. We had drinks with little umbrellas in them and other strange accessories involved, and it was awesome. And the no kids thing was key, you know, because I, <laughs> I love them. You know, I really do love them dearly, but you know how sometimes you just wish you were in a different country than they were? <laughs> I got to do that for seven days. Um, so I've been out of pocket for the last couple of weeks, and so I want to do something real quick right at the beginning of this thing, because last weekend we wrapped up our very first women's series here at Flatirons called Lost in Translation. We wrapped it up with a very powerful weekend, and not only did we have a lot of help of teachers coming in to help with that, you know, we had Lindsay, our student ministry director, our campus pastors, we had Gretchen last week, but on top of that, it just takes a lot of uh, time and energy from staff and from tons of you, from volunteers. Um, and so before we even get started today, could you help me out and give a round of applause for all of our volunteers who helped with that weekend. We appreciate you and thank you. Um, so let's get started. We're starting a brand new series this weekend. It's called Anti-Hero. I'm going to spend a little bit at the beginning to kind of explain what we're doing for the next few weeks. Uh, I think where we should start is I think we should all be on the same page with what an anti-hero is. All right? And like the dictionary definition of an anti-hero is this. It is a central character in a story who lacks conventional heroic qualities and attributes. All right? So an anti-hero is not a villain. Right? Instead, whether it's in books, movies, TV shows, whatever, an anti-hero is a character that you're actually rooting for, even though that person does not display natural, you know, they don't have courage, they're not selfless or wise or humble or whatever, all right? It's a person you're rooting for because they are the hero of the story, even though they're not really very heroic. And so there's something about the anti-hero that we're drawn to. You know, for me, for example, growing up, I grew up, my dad was a cartoonist, and I was at an early age just fascinated with art like that, so I read comic books, you know, and at a really young age, I liked superhero comic books, not anti-hero, superhero. I liked Superman, you know, because he's invincible, and he's perfect. What's his weakness? Kryptonite, you know, grow up. He's allergic to green rocks, <laughs> you know? He can get an inhaler and be fine, you know? Uh, I liked Captain America. I still don't know what the dude's weakness is. I think it's just that he's very nice, and so his calendar's always stacked, you know? Like, every comic book I read of Captain America growing up, it was like, he's trying to respectfully date this woman and defeat the bad guy and attend city council meetings and stuff. He was just nice, you know? And then I grew up, though. You know, I hit my teenage years about the age of 13 and I'm bored with superheroes and, and I started to like anti-heroes. That's when Batman started to seem really cool, you know? Not George Clooney or Adam West Batman, those suck. Um, but like real messed up dark Batman. I liked it because his weakness was himself. You know, the, he, he was always almost the villain in his own story. 
started to like Iron Man. You know, I don't read comic books anymore, but at least when I, when I did, Iron Man was an alcoholic. His weakness was himself. He was always struggling through recovery from that. I started to like the Hulk. His weakness was himself. He couldn't control his anger. Also, side note, and just this is personal opinion. I think another one of the Hulk's weaknesses is that when he transforms, he spawns purple cutoff shorts, but that's personal preference. <laughs> um, but so I started to get drawn to anti-heroes, and I'm not alone in this, all right, because anti-heroes are pervasive in our pop culture right now. You look anywhere, Deadpool, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, you name it, they're all filled with anti-heroes. Why? Why are we so drawn to the concept of an anti-hero? Well, I think it's because they remind us of ourselves. You know, we, we go, oh, they're not perfect, and I'm not perfect either, and we start thinking to ourselves, maybe if someone like that could go on to do great things, then maybe I could too. We love rooting for the broken, messed up anti-heroes because we know at the end of the day, we are the broken, messed up anti-heroes of our own stories. And so throughout this series, we're gonna kinda play on that anti-hero theme. We're gonna do a couple things. We're gonna point out a lie, and then we're gonna remember a truth. The lie, the lie about Jesus and ourselves goes something like this. Jesus is waiting on us to be perfect. To use language from our series, Jesus needs you to be spiritual superheroes, right? Flawlessly courageous and strong and moral and faithful, and he needs us to clean up our act and tuck our shirts in and be perfect. He's actually waiting on us to be perfect. He's waiting so that he can actually finally use you to influence the world and the people around you. Jesus is waiting on us to be perfect. It's a lie. On the other hand, the, the truth is really, really good. It's much better than that. A guy named Paul who wrote a, a lot of the New Testament, he explains it really well. He says that he has a weakness, all right? He doesn't give us specifics. He says he has a thorn in his flesh. He has some sort of weakness, some sort, sort of struggle or baggage that he begs Jesus to take away from him, and Jesus won't. Instead, this happens. Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he, Jesus, said to me, no. You know, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus says to Paul, he goes, Paul, listen, this weakness of yours, this struggle that you have, you're gonna have it until the day you die, but my grace is powerful enough to forgive you, and my grace is strong enough to be in relationship with you anyway, because my power is made perfect in and through your weaknesses. Again, to use the language of our series, Jesus basically says, Paul, you're not supposed to be the flawless spiritual superhero of your story. That's my job. You are the anti-hero. You are the broken, messed up person that I'm going to love and work in and through regardless of your brokenness. Again, the lie that we've bought into is that Jesus is waiting on us to be perfect. But thankfully, the truth is this. In our weakest moments, Jesus does some of his strongest work. But this seems backwards to us, we don't think this way. You know, because when we have moments of failure or weakness, you know, we screw up with our family, we lose the job, we do the time, the disease leaves us bedridden. When we have moments of failure or weakness, we typically get in our heads and we think to ourselves, well, this is it, this is all I really am. And this is all I'm gonna be good for, and I'm hopeless, and I'm worthless, and Jesus never says those things to us. Instead, he says, no, 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 listen to me, I can work with that. All right, that is my specialty. So hand me your failures and hand me your weaknesses because my grace is strong enough to handle them. Jesus never commanded us to become spiritual superheroes. Instead, we are the anti-heroes. We are the broken, messed up people that Jesus will work in and through. 
And so for the rest of the series, we're gonna drive that truth home. And we're gonna do that by talking about a different person in the Bible every single week. It's a person that maybe if you've only heard the Sunday school VBS version of their story, you might think they're a perfect spiritual superhero. And they're not. They are anti-heroes. And today, we're gonna take a look at a guy named Moses. Right? This is one of my favorite people. I love Moses. I feel like if I could go back in time, he and I would have, a, sadly, a lot in common uh, because he's one of the biggest anti-heroes in the Bible. And I wanna tell you about a time when God speaks directly to Moses out of a bush that's on fire, right? Sounds weird, I know, and that's mainly because it's super weird that that happened at one point. Um, and I wanna tell you about that story, but first let me kinda catch us up to speed with who Moses is. All right. If you were here when Lindsay taught, you might have heard a little bit of the beginning of his story. Uh, Moses is in, born an Israelite boy into slavery in Egypt. At the time, the pharaoh of Egypt, like the king of Egypt, had issued an order. And the order said that any Israelite baby boy that's born needs to be thrown into the Nile River to drown. This all happened historically. Pharaoh realizes that his slaves, the Israelites, are growing and growing in number. He can't have a slave revolt on his hands, and so this is population control. He makes this law. Moses' mom, understandably, she just can't go through with it, can't do it to herself, and so she puts Moses in the basket that floats, and she floats him down the Nile River, and later downstream, Moses is found by Pharaoh's daughter. Could have gone very poorly from him, for him, but instead she has sympathy on him, and long story short, Pharaoh's daughter adopts Moses. So this is actually the first 40 years of Moses' life, is living in riches as the Pharaoh's adopted grandson, while his true people, the Israelites, are now Moses' slaves. In other words, for the first 40 years of his life, Moses is an imposter. He is a slave pretending to be a prince. And I'm sure this came with guilt and shame. I'm sure he walked through the streets of Egypt and, you know, with his fancy clothes and his well-fed stomach and his prestigious education, and I bet the Israelites cursed him. You know, there goes Moses. There goes the prince of Egypt who should be dead at the bottom of the river with my baby boy. There's Moses, the imposter. Nothing heroic about that. But because of that, we can relate. How many of us have felt like imposters? It's only a matter of time until the people around me discover who the real me is, and when they find out, they'll leave, they'll hate me. Moses knew what that felt like. It gets worse, though. One day, Moses is out walking around. He sees an Egyptian who's beating an Israelite slave almost senseless, and I don't know what happens to Moses, but he snaps. I don't know if he's sick of being an imposter. Maybe he thinks he can be a hero, but he snaps. He sees red. He charges the Egyptian. He kills him, and he buries him in the sand. At this point, Moses is now also a murderer, and there's nothing heroic about that, but because of that, we can relate. Maybe not to being a murderer, of course, but maybe we tried to do the right thing, but we didn't know how to do it, and so we did the right thing in the wrong way, and it blew up in our face. Moses knew what that felt like. And of course, it gets even worse. Pharaoh eventually discovers that Moses has killed someone, and Pharaoh can't have his grandson, Moses, leading an Israelite revolt, and so he issues an order for Moses to be killed. And what does Moses do? You know, does he use his power and his position to stand up for his people? Does he lead the Israelites into full-blown rebellion against their slave owners? No, he just runs away with his tail between his legs. He goes to a faraway place called Midian and he hides for the rest of his life. He settles down, he gets married, and he becomes a shepherd. Moses is a coward. 
And there is nothing heroic about that. But because of that, we can relate. I mean, how many of us feel like, like when the game is on the line with our family, jobs, friends, whatever, we just always freak out and drop the ball? Moses knew what that felt like. So Moses is out in Midian now, all right? And, he, and that actually becomes the next 40 years of his life. He just sulks around feeling sorry for himself as a shepherd. He's an 80-year-old man doing a job designed for teenage boys, and he's hated by everyone, hated by the Israelites for being an imposter, hated by the Egyptians for being a murderer, hated by himself for being a coward. I don't care what your Sunday school taught you. That is who Moses is. And that, of all people, is who God decided to speak directly to from a burning bush one day. Not a superhero, an anti-hero. An 80-year-old imposter, murderer, coward shepherd living in hiding in the middle of nowhere. And I want to walk us through this moment where God talks to him. So one day Moses is out, he's with his sheep, and he sees something interesting, all right? He sees in the distance there's a bush and it's on fire, all right? Just engulfed in flames. But at the same time, it's not burning up. Like it's not falling apart, it's not dying and withering. And so Moses does what any man would do. Look at this, he, he sees the bush, and, and so Moses thought, I will go over and see that strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Translation, he does, he's just a normal dude, just like every other man in the room. We see fire, and we're like, oh, fire, and then we walk towards it. <laughs> right? That's what he does. But as, as Moses gets closer, the bush, bush starts to talk to him, and that's a trip. You know, the bush says, hey, Moses, and Moses is like, you know, who is my, are my sheep talking to me? What's going on? He looks back at the bush. The bush again says, hey, Moses. Moses kind of timidly raises his hand. He goes, yeah, that's me. Here I am. He has no idea what's going on. All he knows is there's a bush on fire talking to him, all right? It, probably what he's thinking to himself is, I got to lay off eating all those wild mushrooms I keep finding. <laughs> I don't know what he's thinking, but uh, that's when the voice finally introduces himself. And the voice says this. He says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In other words, I'm the God of your true people, the Israelites. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He's terrified. And you would be too if you were Moses. Because Moses assumes he is in huge trouble right now. He is the imposter, the murderer, the coward who's been on the lamb for 40 years now. Moses is thinking to himself, this is it, right? I have been running from this God and from his people my entire life. He finally caught up with me and this is game over. Nothing heroic about that, but we can relate. How many of us thought the ceiling would collapse in on us the first time we walked into church, right? We just assumed that if God is real, then he must be very angry with me but God does not punish or shame Moses. Instead, God shares a plan with Moses. And it is a crazy, awesome, heroic plan. He says to Moses, he goes, listen, Moses, I've not given up on you, and I've not given up on my people, the Israelites. I've been with them through all their slavery, but now it's time for rescue. Now I'm gonna save them. And here's the kicker, Moses. I'm gonna do all of that through you. And this, of course, melts Moses' mind because God is not here to punish him. Instead, God is here to tell Moses, I've chosen you to be the anti-hero in my story. Moses, the least qualified person I can think of to lead his people to freedom. He chooses Moses to be the leader, a guy that I personally wouldn't follow to the lobby right now, Moses. Here's the truth. God should have moved on. 
God should have picked someone else unless God is actually in the interest of working through anti-heroes. And I think that's what we're about to see. So God shares this crazy plan with Moses. And what is Moses' response? Well, he's a coward. And so he gives a bunch of cowardly excuses for why God has picked the wrong person. And I'm gonna walk us through these excuses right now because I think we're gonna see ourselves in Moses. So Moses' first response to God's epic plan is this. He goes, God, who am I? Right? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? We've all said some version of this before. Right? God, who am I? In other words, God, I'm not enough. Right? Like I am not capable, qualified, or strong enough to lead my family, run my business, you name it. You picked the wrong person, God. Pick someone else. But I love God's response. Because God says, or Moses says, who am I? And God doesn't answer his question. Instead, God just says this. He says, I will be with you. God doesn't pander to Moses' insecurity. He doesn't go, oh, come on, buddy, who are you? You're Moses, you know, you're great. You're gonna do just fine out there. He doesn't do that. Instead, God simply says, hey, Moses, when it comes to this plan, doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am, and I am going to be with you. Moses hears that, though, just cruises right into his second excuse. He goes, the first one doesn't work, so I'll try this one. He changes it from who am I to who are you? He goes, you're saying it's gonna be fine because you're going with me. I'm listening, but God, I don't know you. And so who are you? Are you strong enough to set these people free? Moses challenges God, which you know is like never a good idea to do. But God stays patient with him. God actually responds by giving him this like rousing, inspiring speech, the kind of speech that puts Gladiator, Braveheart, movies like that to shame. God looks at Moses, he goes, listen, Moses, who am I? I'm king. I'm king of everything, I will be king of everything until the end of time. So yes, I'll set my people free. I'm actually gonna give them a land of their own that's even better than Egypt. And even though Egyptians are gonna resist, I'm gonna strike their land with plagues and wonders to the point where at the end of it, they're also gonna turn to me and see that I'm the one true king and they're gonna worship me. And so Moses, who am I? I'm God and I'm the king of everything and I will do all of that and I will do all of that through you. The kind of speech that needs a soundtrack behind it. Moses should be beating his chest and charging into Egypt. But instead, Moses looks at the God of the universe after that speech and he goes, yeah, that's a cool speech, God. But, you know, back to the matter at hand, what if they don't believe me, you know, or, or, or listen to me? And what if they look at me and they go, yeah, nah, the Lord didn't appear to you. Right now, I'm picturing the holiest, most infinite eye roll of all time from God, you know? But he stays patient with him. Gives Moses a set of miraculous signs that Moses can perform to add physical authority to his words. Crazy, like David playing on crack stuff. You know, like his shepherd staff can turn into a snake and back again, weird stuff like that. What is Moses' response? When he looks at God and he goes, those are very cool magic tricks, God, thank you. But I've never been eloquent. You know, neither in the past or not even now since you're speaking to your servant, I'm slow of speech and tongue. In other words, Moses goes, I'm not quick-witted. I'm not great at giving speeches like you are, God. So listen, you have picked the wrong person. Moses is honestly, in my opinion, just being annoying now, but God stays patient. And God replies, he basically says, Moses, I made your mouth. You know, like I know what I'm working with here. I know the kinds of speeches you give. You're putting it on full display right now. So listen to me, like I'll do all the heavy lifting. All you gotta do is walk to Egypt. 
And this is where Moses gives his last and final attempt to dodge God, and it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. He looks at the God of the universe, speaking to him out of a bush that's on fire, and he finally just says, Lord, just please send someone else to do it. You're not getting it. I'm sitting here giving you every reason to pick someone else, and you won't listen. I'm not qualified. Send someone else to do it which is followed by one of the funnier understatements in the Bible, in my opinion. He says, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. <laughs> and Moses obviously felt it. Because at that point, Moses finally stops arguing with God. He puts his shoes on and he walks towards Egypt. The imposter, murderer, and coward. The least qualified leader available is off to set an entire nation free from slavery. Now let's stop there. Let's try and tie this story into our real lives. All right, so here's why I think Moses made excuse after excuse for why God had picked the wrong person. I think it's because Moses bought into a lie. It's a lie that you and I have bought into, and it's a lie that goes something like this. Yeah, God, I get it. You say you're going with me, but I know in reality I have to go it alone. Yeah, you're gonna go with me, I get it. Abstract though, at the end of the day, I gotta be mom or dad or spouse or boss or employee, friend, whatever, I gotta do that on my own. I'm out here on my own. That's the lie going through Moses' head. Why, why do we have to go it alone? Because that's what heroes do. They go it alone. They are strong and capable and quick-witted enough on their own power to get the job done. This is 90% of every action movie trailer you've ever seen in your life. You know, there's an explosion and something bad happens and then a narrator with a weird voice goes, one man could save them all. And then Tom Cruise is running around for some reason, you know? <laughs> it's the lie that we've bought into. See, Moses knows he's not strong enough on his own power to go it alone. And I don't think Moses actually believes that God will go with him. We can't blame Moses for that because we've all done this. We all got some area of our lives where we're trying to go it alone. If you're having trouble thinking of what this might be for you right now, it's usually the thing that keeps you up at night. All right, we all know this feeling. You know, it doesn't happen every night, but it happens pretty frequently. We lay down to sleep and, and you're finally alone for the first time that day. There's no one left to pretend for. You can be 100% honest with yourself. So you start thinking about your life and there's this stuff you got going on that gives you a stomachache. You got stuff that's going on where you start going, no, 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 I'm not enough. I'm not enough to be mom, dad, parent, fill in the blank, right? I'm not enough. Chances are, whatever area of our life that's keeping us up at night, whatever area of life that makes us go, I'm not enough, is most likely the part of our life where we're trying to go it alone. If I'm being 100% vulnerable with you right now, I was slipping into this pretty drastically right before I went on vacation. Because right? the last time, most recent time I taught up here was actually the same week that Jim announced his six-month sabbatical. Right? If you've missed a few weeks, then, you know, surprise. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he announced it. And, you know, right before vacation, even though I know the sabbatical is best for Jim, it's best for our church, in the long run, it's going to be a very great and healthy thing. I still start freaking out. My mind starts spinning. I start going, you know, I'm going to have a heavier responsibility on my shoulders. I'm going to be more involved with series planning. I'm going to have to teach more often. And do I really have what it takes? No, no, I don't have what it really takes. And my mind spins and I go, oh, no, I'm not enough. I'm not enough to do this on my own. Luckily, I go on vacation, I get some time to rest and come back down to reality and remind myself, Ben, stop. Like you're not doing this on your own. 
was able to learn a lesson from Moses and to remember that anytime I say to myself, I'm not enough, God replies by saying, that's not the point. The point is not whether you are enough. God says the point is whether or not I am enough, and I am, and I'll be going with you. That's just one of mine, but what's one of yours? Right? What overwhelming part of your life have you convinced yourself, I have to go it alone? It's all up to me, I'm out here on my own, and I'm not enough. I want you to actually think of it right now, and keep it up in your mind while I wrap this thing up. So I don't have time to tell the rest of Moses' story today. It's great, you should read it. Maybe we'll talk about it another time, but it's just too long. Um, But the long and short of the rest of Moses' story is this. God kept every promise he made to Moses. He did go with Moses to Egypt. He did drag Pharaoh down to rock bottom. He did set the Israelites free and give them their own land, and God did do all of that through Moses. Moses is an anti-hero. He is the last person you would have expected for God to work in and through. But here's what it means for us. It means if God can do something like that through Moses, then doesn't that mean that maybe, just maybe, God can do something powerful in our lives too with the things that are overwhelming us? I do think it means that. And so wherever you fall on the spectrum of faith, Right, you've been here hundreds of times, you believe everything we're saying, or this is your first time here and you're not sure what you believe. When it comes to the thing that is overwhelming you right now, parenting, marriage, career, friendship, addiction, you name it, when it comes to the thing that's overwhelming you, you gotta hear this truth. The truth is that we don't have to go it alone. And that is because we have a God who says his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. We have a God who says, I specialize in working in and through anti-heroes, people like Moses, people like us. We have a God who says, I will go with you. Yes, I'll go with you into the shame and baggage of your past, into the mess of today, into the fear of the future. He goes with us. We don't have to go it alone. And we gotta remember that because we forget it all the time. We just forget it. There's this, actually this pretty popular churchy phrase that's a personal pet peeve of mine, all right? Don't be offended if you say this or you've said it. You know, it's just a personal pet peeve. But it's anytime someone says something like, man, God really showed up today. Or someone says something like, I really need God to show up in my marriage right now. I'll bet Moses, while he was walking to Egypt, said to himself, whoever that fiery bush God is, I need him to show up in Egypt And in every case, I know what people are saying, but at the same time, I wanna interrupt and be like, that's not how it works. We don't need God to show up in our lives. He's already here. Moses didn't need God to show up in Egypt. He's already there. The truth is that wherever you go, and I do mean wherever, wherever you go, he is with you. We have a God who goes with us. We don't have to go it alone. And so for the thing you're thinking about, the part of your life that is overwhelming, the part of your life where you've been trying to go it alone, what do we do with that? Where do we change? What do we change? And I think that we can do the same thing that Moses did, and it's actually the only thing that goof did right that day at the burning bush. We can stop arguing with God and step into the responsibility he handed us. That is the only thing Moses did right that day at the burning bush, that's it. Did he stop being an imposter, murderer, or coward overnight? No, 
not possible. Instead, he just stopped arguing with God about being the wrong person for the job, and he walked into the responsibility that God gave him. Looks the same with us. When it comes to the overwhelming challenges that we're facing in our lives, we can stop arguing with God and step into the responsibility he's handed us. And so for the rest of the week, we can try something together. This is a baby step towards not going it alone, a baby step towards retraining our minds to remember that God is with us wherever we go. It looks like this. For the next week, anytime you catch yourself saying or thinking to yourself, I need God to show up, stop and pause and remember that he doesn't need to show up. He's already here. And so instead, just ask him, what do you want to do with this mess today? And anytime you catch yourself saying or thinking, God, I'm not enough, you picked the wrong person to be dad, mom, spouse, boss, whatever, just stop and don't argue with God. Listen, you're probably not enough. He is. And you probably wish he picked someone else. He didn't. He picked you. For the next week, let's stop arguing with God and step into the responsibility he handed us. That's one baby step. And then next weekend, we'll come back in here and we'll continue learning what it looks like for Jesus to take the weakest moments of our lives and do strong stuff with it. Until then, I wanna do something a little differently though. I wanna end a little differently today. I'm gonna ask that everybody stand up with me. So this truth of knowing that we don't have to go it alone and knowing that God goes with us, I think this is a great thing for us as individuals to remember every day of our life. I also think it's really good timing as a church, as a, a, I was gonna say little, but huge family together, it's a good time for us to remember the same truth. In this six-month season that we're marching out into, where one of our anti-hero leaders, one of our Moseses, our lead pastor, Jim Bergen, is out for six months getting some much-needed rest. I think this is a good time for us to pause and remember the truth that we have a God who goes with us wherever we go. And so for the, just the last minute, I'm going to end by quickly declaring who we are as a church here at Flatirons. If you've been coming here for years and years, this is a reminder. If you're here for the first time, welcome. And this is kind of a heads up for what you just walked into. But as a church here at Flatirons, we are not spiritual superheroes. It's not possible. We are the anti-heroes. We are just a ragtag group of messy, broken people that Jesus looks at and says, I love you anyway. And all of your weakness and all of your failure, give it to me. I'm strong enough to handle it. We're not perfect or even close, and we don't pretend to be. We do know that because Jesus' grace is strong enough for us, we know that there is no amount of broken, there is no amount of messed up that could ever separate us from the love of our God, could ever separate us from the good life that Jesus offers us. And so if you in this room are thinking to yourself right now, well, you don't know me, I'm really messed up. If that's you, listen to me. Maybe you are, but we are too. And maybe life is a train wreck right now. Maybe it's a train wreck you even caused. But I do know that God doesn't shoot his wounded. We're not gonna do that either. You are welcome and you are safe here at Flatirons. And so sabbatical or no sabbatical, that won't ever change around here. Why won't that change? Well, because we are a church of anti-heroes and we know it. And so sure, I might be a mess, but I'm a mess that Jesus loves. And sure, I'm a mess But because of Jesus, I don't think I have to stay that way. 
And so as we walk out of these doors today into a new season as a church, let's pause and remember this truth together as a family. It's the truth that Jesus will not individually leave you out there on your own. And also at the same time, he will not leave us as a church out here on our own. And that's because we have a God who goes with us. So close your eyes. I'm gonna pray, but our, our prayer today is actually just a verse. A verse from the Bible, it's a verse where God is speaking to a guy named Joshua. Joshua is actually Moses' successor as leader of the Israelites. And so when Moses dies and Joshua takes over, I'm sure he's buying into the same lie that Moses did, the same lie we bought into, the lie that he's gonna have to go it alone. But God, because he's very good, the very first thing God does as Joshua steps into leadership is that God reminds Joshua that he's gonna go with him. And still, to this day, here in 2019, God is saying the same thing to us. And so this is Joshua 1.9. This is God speaking to us, and this is our prayer today. Be strong and be courageous. And do not be terrified and do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go, and so you can be strong and you can be courageous, don't have to be terrified. You do not have to be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go, so be strong and be courageous, and don't be terrified, and don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God, whether it's the stuff that we're walking through individually, the messes that we were dropped into, the messes that we've created in our own lives right now, whether it's that or it comes to the new six-month season that we're walking into as a church, God, all of us, please remind us of that truth. God, show us what it looks like to be strong. Show us what it looks like to be courageous. Please don't let us be terrified and please don't let us be discouraged and remind us that you are the kind of God who's gonna go with us wherever we go. God, I thank you for being who you are. As we're, as we're about to sing this courageous song that talks about our, you taking our weaknesses and being strong with them, God, please remind us of the truth that you're going with us wherever we go. We love you very much, and we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, who made this possible for us, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.